نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whoever Allah guides there's no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there's no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshiped except Allah alone and that he has no partners I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger we would like to continue in the study of Tafsir al-Allam the explanation or sharh of umdat al-ahkam those hadith collected from al-Bukhari and Muslim related to the matters of the rules and regulations the laws concerning uh, the matters of worship such as tahara and salat and dealings or interactions such as buying and selling and so on uh we are presently in the third lecture in our series concerning the matters related to as-salat kitab as-salat and we covered last week uh hadith number 47 48 and 49 quickly inshallah just to review the points derived from those hadith hadith number 47 is the hadith of Abu Minhal Sayyar ibn Salama he said that me and my father uh, approached or entered upon Abi Barza al-Aslami radiyallahu anhu and my father said to him how was kayfa kana rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam yusalli al-maktuba how did the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam perform the prayers which are called maktuba or al-mafruda the obligatory the five obligatory prayers then he began to enumerate the times of the prayers the beginning of the time for each prayer and he said he used to pray al-hajira that which that one which is called the first prayer here he is referring to az-zuhr that he used to pray it at the time when the sun began to decline from its highest point or from the zenith and he used to pray the asr prayer the late afternoon prayer at a time when a person if they return to their home or their place of residence in the furthest furthest part of medina the sun would still be very bright and hot and he said i forgot what he said about the maghrib or sunset prayer and we know that the maghrib or sunset prayer from other hadith is at the time when the sun sets or dips below the horizon and he used to prefer yastahibbu it was mustahab or beloved to him to delay the isha prayer the late night prayer that which that one which is called al-atama al-atama means darkness yani the one that is prayed late in the night after the darkness is completely covering the sky and finally he closed this his statement by saying that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam used to dislike or hate sleeping before that prayer the isha prayer and he used to hate or dislike speaking after it he used to hate sleeping before it and speaking after it 
uh, and he used to leave from the Salat al-Ghada, that is Salat al-Fajr or Salat al-Subh, the morning prayer. He used to finish and go away from the masjid or leave the congregation while a person could just recognize the one who was sitting next to him. Yeah, and it was still dark enough or it was still so dark that you couldn't see everything clearly but you could only recognize someone who was sitting next to you. And finally he mentioned how the Prophet ﷺ used to lengthen the recitation in the Fajr prayer. He said he used to read in the Fajr prayer between 60 to 100 verses. He mentions a number of points. The first of them, the points that are derived from this hadith is the clarification of the beginning of the times of the five prayers. And that the end of the time for each prayer is the beginning of the time for the next prayer, yani the one that's coming after it. Um, and this is with the exclusion of the dawn fajr prayer because it is up until sunrise, it is not up until dhuhr. And according to the difference of opinion, may, we may also include Isha, according to those who said that the time of Isha is up until midnight, and the others said that it's up until fajr, in that case it wouldn't be an exception, it would be also included in those prayers whose time ends at the beginning of the next time. Yani that the Isha prayer, it, the end of its time is at the time of dawn. Uh, also, here in, these, in this hadith is clarification that the Prophet ﷺ used to perform the prayers in the beginning of their time, with the exception of Al-Isha, because he preferred to delay the Isha prayer until one third of the night or until one half of the night, according to the different authentic hadith. Also, that it is preferable that the Isha prayer should be delayed to the end of its preferred time. And if the preferred time for Isha is up until one third or one half of the night, it's preferable, it is better to delay it until that time. Uh, but this being preferable is with the consideration that in delaying it to the later part of the night, it wouldn't be a hardship or difficulty on the people who came to pray. If it would be a hardship on them, in that case it's preferable to pray in its earlier time. And the fourth thing he said, that it is disliked to sleep before Salat al-Isha. This is makruh, to sleep before Salat al-Isha. It is better to stay awake until you perform it and then sleep. And this is so that a person wouldn't miss the prayer in congregation. Or so that uh, they would not perform the prayer outside or after its preferred time. And after one third of the night or after one half of the night. And uh, also he mentioned here that it is disliked speaking. And this is clearly from the text of the hadith that it is something makruh or disliked speaking after the Isha prayer. Uh, or staying up in conversations. Uh, so that the person would not then fall asleep and miss the Salat al-Layl or Salat al-Qiyam or the night prayer. Or so that they would not miss yeah, and he's staying up late might cause them to miss the dawn prayer in congregation. And he says that this is disliked or detested uh, with the exception uh, of the case of the one who stays up after Isha for the purpose of studying or learning beneficial knowledge or attending to the affairs uh, of the Muslim community. Number six, uh, he says that the statement in this hadith about the prayer which is called al-Atama, that it is called al-Atama, that this statement in the hadith, the wording here, 
is an indication that this naming of the Isha prayer by this word or this expression Al-Atama is something that is disliked. And then he mentions some of the hadith which show that it's disliked and also he mentions some hadith which prove that it's not absolutely prohibited but يعني, it is uh, preferable to refer to the late night prayer as Isha as it is mentioned in the book of Allah. Then he says number seven that the, in this hadith there is an indication that the dawn prayer should be performed while it's still dark outside and at the first break of dawn so that when the prayer was finished it was still dark enough that a person would not be able to recognize anyone except the one who was sitting behind, be, beside him uh, even though the Prophet ﷺ used to recite from 60 to 100 ayats in the prayer it was still relatively dark outside when the prayer was finished and this is an indication of how early he began the Fajr prayer yeah, I mean at the first beginning of the time of dawn number eight uh, that it is virtuous to lengthen the recitation in which prayer? Fajr prayer, Salatul Subh or Salatul Fajr it is preferable and commendable to lengthen the recitation in the, in the dawn prayer uh, and also that it is not proper when someone is asked about a question or that yeah, and the proper thing to do when someone is asked about a question that they don't know, the proper thing to do is to say I don't know and no one should be shy from saying I don't know because whoever falls into speaking about that which they don't know they fall under the category of those who speak about Allah or about the religion of Allah without knowledge and this is a very serious sin to speak about Allah or the religion of Allah while you have no knowledge of such and then he mentions as a benefit yani a side point uh, that if it is disliked and detestable to stay up having general conversation after Isha then what about those who stay up engaging in things that are not even allowed normally yani in haram things such as watching uh, pornographic movies or having discussions about illegal things or things that are unacceptable Islamically. The next hadith, hadith number 48, hadith of Ali radiallahu anhu, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said at the time of the battle of Khandaq, Mala Allah kuburahum wa buyutahum nara. May Allah fill their homes or their graves and their homes with fire. Kama shagaluna an as salat al wusta hatta ghabat al shams. Since they busied us and occupied us, from the performance of the middle prayer as-salat al-wusta the middle prayer until the sun had set in the narration of Muslim or in another narration that's reported by Muslim he said that they have occupied us from as-salat al-wusta salat al-asr here he identified that the salat al-wusta the middle prayer it is salat al-asr the late afternoon prayer and then he performed the asr prayer between Maghrib and Isha yani after the time of the Asr prayer had been finished he performed it after its time and in other narrations it mentions that he performed it after the Maghrib the time of Maghrib and then after it he performed Al-Isha and that's coming in another chapter uh, here in this hadith there was a point of difference of opinion and it was concerning the difference of opinion amongst the scholars as to which prayer is referred to by this term as-salat al-wusta which prayer is it and as he mentioned 
there are many opinions concerning this. Imam al-Shawkani in his book Mail al-Awta uh, mentions 17 different opinions concerning this. Uh, and the correct opinion is clear from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. He himself identified Salat al-Wusta that it is Salat al-Asr, is the afternoon prayer. So this clear authentic hadith is sufficient for us, no need to go any further. As for those points which are derived from this hadith, he mentions five. The first of them is the bet which is referred to as Salat al-Wusta, it is Salat al-Asr. And that's based on the authentic hadith in al-Bukhari and Muslim. And particularly, not only the hadith mentioned here, but the hadith of Ali radiallahu anhu, in which he said, we used to consider the Fajr prayer, the dawn prayer. We used to think that that was a Salat al-Wusta until I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Yawm al-Ahzab, on the day of the Confederates, that is in the battle of Khandaq, I heard him saying that they have occupied us from the middle prayer, Salat al-Wusta, Salat al-Asr. And uh, then he mentions that Ibn Athir says that this prayer, Asr, is called Salat al-Wusta because it is the best of the prayers and the greatest of them in reward. And for this reason, we have been encouraged to protect it and to preserve it and to guard it carefully yeah, and to make sure that it is performed properly and in its time. Number two, he says that this, in this, this hadith is an indication of the permissibility of delaying the salat from its time. If a person is unable, is prevented from performing it on time, then it's permissible to pray it after that time. Uh, and then he says that perhaps this was before the legislation, yani this incident took place before the legislation of Salat al-Khawf, the uh, prayer of the one who is in fear or in danger. Uh, because after the revelation uh, of the instructions concerning this Salat al-Khawf, then it became obligatory on the Muslim, even on the battlefield, to perform the prayer in its time, in the manners that have been described in the authentic hadith. Uh, number three, he says that whoever has uh, forgotten uh, was unmindful of the prayer and didn't perform it in its time, then it should be performed as soon as one remembers or as soon as one is able and number four the permissibility of making supplication or praying against the one who does oppression or the wrongdoer the valim, to the extent of their oppression or wrongdoing and to the extent that they have done wrong to that extent it's permissible to pray against them and this is a form of kisas it is a form of, it is a form of kisas yeah, and that a person should be punished according to their crime and the punishment should fit the crime and not go beyond it. Number five, uh, he says that some of the scholars said in this hadith is a proof of the, uh, and that it is not acceptable to narrate hadith by meaning, that hadith should be narrated by its text, by the literal meaning of the text. And this is derived from one of the narrations of the hadith, the narration of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, in which he, when he used to narrate this incident, he sometimes used to say, uh, Allah ajawafahum wa naran, and sometimes he used to say, Hashallah ajawafahum wa naran, using two different words, mala'a and hasha. Sometimes he used that word, and he also used to use the other word, because he was unsure which was the exact word that the Prophet ﷺ said. So this was an indication that he didn't think it was sufficient just to narrate it by meaning. Since both of those words have the same meaning, but he felt that the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ have to be narrated literally as he said it, not just by the same meaning. And that's why he wasn't sure which word he used, so when he used to report that hadith, he used to report it with both wordings.
The last hadith that we took last week is hadith number 49 and that is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma may Allah be pleased with him and his father he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam delayed the prayer into late into night into the night into the darkness of the night a'tama and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam then Umar came out and said as-salat ya rasulullah he called out to bring to the attention of the Prophet perhaps he had forgotten perhaps something happened so he called out in a loud voice in the masjid and the Prophet house is next to the masjid is attached to it so he called out to him as-salat ya rasulullah the women and children have fallen asleep then the Prophet came out with his head dripping with water and he said لَوْلَا أَنَا شُكَّ عَلَى أُمَّتِي أَوْ عَلَى النَّاسِ لَأَمَرْتُهُمْ بِهَذِهِ الصَّلَاةِ that it wouldn't, if it wouldn't have been a hardship on my ummah or on the people I would have ordered them with this prayer at this time, at this hour, at this late hour this is an indication that this is the preferable time except that if it was a hardship on the people the Prophet ﷺ never wanted to make a hardship on his ummah the scholars differed here uh, he mentions the difference of opinion of the scholars here concerning Salat uh, al-Isha is it preferable to perform it in the earlier time or in the later time the first opinion are those a group of scholars uh, who said that it is preferable to say it in the earlier time and they use this evidence that it was the normal habit of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to perform it in its earlier time and he didn't delay it until that later time except on a few occasions and they said the reason why he did it sometimes a few times in the later time was to show that it was permissible or because there was some other reason or excuse for delaying it otherwise they said he normally used to perform it in the earlier time and if it had been better to perform it in the later time then he would have regularly performed it in the later time this is the opinion of the first group the second group and they are the majority the jamhur the majority of scholars they said that the preferable time is, the, is to delay it and they use as their proof the many authentic hadith such as the one mentioned here where the prophet sallallahu wasallam said very very clearly that if it wouldn't have been a hardship on the ummah then i would have ordered this prayer to be performed at this time in the later time and he accepted it was a hardship in any case <coughs> they said that the fact that he didn't delay it regularly uh, that nothing prevented him from such from delaying it yeah, and to the, performing it in the later time except for his fear that it would be a hardship on the believers uh, and when he delayed it on one occasion in another narration it says that this time that I'm performing the prayer it is really the time of the Isha prayer it is being performed in its real time if it wouldn't have been a hardship on my ummah so in any case there are two opinions about this and both of them are permissible the earlier time or the later time it should be in consideration of the people if it's not a hardship on the people it's better to delay it and if it's a hardship on the people then it should be performed the imam uh, when and he should perform it when he sees that most of the people have arrived in the masjid from this hadith he mentioned seven points <coughs> the first of them that it is preferable to delay the Isha prayer until a later time and nothing prevented this except that it was a hardship on the people the second that hardship in the case when anything is a hardship on the people the hardship is a cause in the Islamic law it is a cause for some ease or a way out to be provided and that's why we find 
in the Islamic law, whenever a person is in difficulty, there are some options and some reducing of the responsibilities or some way of ease made for the people in order that the performance of the obligations on the Muslims would never be a hardship. And that's why the sick person has options and the traveling person has options and so on. Uh, also he said <coughs> that in some cases to perform the less preferable act uh, may be better than to perform the more preferable act and this is in consideration of the circumstances he is saying here, the meaning of his statement here is that the preferable act or the time for Isha is in the later time but it may be better to perform it in its earlier time in light of the circumstances and in light of the conditions of the people uh, so as not to cause hardship for them then he says uh, also in this hadith is an indication of the perfection and the completeness of the compassion and mercy of the Prophet ﷺ for his ummah that he was always concerned about not making any hardship on the people and this should be an example for us surely you have in the Messenger of Allah an excellent example for anyone who hopes for Allah in the last day surely in the Messenger of Allah is the example for us لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا we should also always consider any Muslim who is in authority whether in their family in their workplace, in the community, they should always consider the people and not make an unnecessary hardship on the people if there is no need for it. And if it is a matter in which there is no other option that's different, we must obey Allah and whatever He has ordered us and refrain from what He has prohibited. But when there is an option or some room to make ease for the people, we should always try to follow this rule as was the example of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Also in this hadith is an indication that some of the women and children used to attend the prayer in congregation with the Prophet and that's indicated in the statement of Umar when he called out to the Prophet he said the women and children have fallen asleep that means some of the women and children had come to the prayer uh, also the straightforwardness of Umar with the Prophet in calling out to him screaming out to him this is an indication of his confidence in the good character of the Prophet ﷺ and that the Prophet would not become angry since he knew that he was calling out to him for some benefit of the Muslims. And finally he said in this hadith is an indication that it is permissible for the younger people or the lesser people or the followers to bring to the attention any matter to those who are their superiors or their leaders or the children to their parents, they may bring something to their attention if they think that they have been unmindful or neglectful or forgot or to achieve some benefit. It's permissible for your children to say, uh, Abi, Umi, uh, it's time for prayer. Maybe you are busy, the mother is busy cooking in the kitchen. It's okay for the children to call to her attention and remind her. She shouldn't get upset and say, who are you to be telling me it's time for prayer? The mother should be telling the children. No, it's okay for the children to tell their parents. If they thought they have forgotten something, it's something good to do. Okay, this is the end of what we took last week. Tonight, inshallah, we're starting a new uh, subject, and that is Bab fi shay'in min makruhat as salat. Yeah, and he some of those things, and and he said some of those things because he only mentions two. Uh, some of those things which are considered to be makruh or detestable or disliked in the salat. And here, uh, the Sheikh. Uh, Sheikh Abdullah Ali Bassam he says that 
this is his commentary that al-makruh this terminology al-makruh with the scholars of usul the usuliyun the scholars of usul fiqh it has a particular meaning and it means that which a person would would be rewarded for if they left it that thing which is makruh if you leave it you should expect to get a reward for avoiding it but you would not be punished for committing it and it's makruh that's different from haram whoever commits that which is haram expects to be punished or Allah may forgive them if he wills but you are justified Allah is justified it is just and right that you should be punished if you commit that which is forbidden or haram as for that which is makruh it is different from haram on this point that if you commit it you don't expect to be punished for it but if you avoid it you expect to be rewarded it is a rewardable thing to avoid that which is makruh uh, and the opposite of that is al-mustahab al-mustahab is that which if you do it you expect to be rewarded if you do it you should get a reward but if you leave it there's no punishment for you it's mustahab if you don't do it there's no punishment whereas that which is wajib if you don't do it you should be punished it is it is justified that the person who leaves that which is wajib or obligatory that they should be punished but if something is mustahab commendable recommended if you didn't do it there's no punishment against you but if you did it you expect to get a reward and these terminals we 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 discussed previously in the introductory lectures from the first course of uh, fiqh at-tahara uh, then he said that the things that are makruh in the salat are those things which cause a defect or a lessening of the perfection of the prayer but they do not invalidate the prayer that which is makruh if a person does it it takes away from the perfection or completeness of the prayer but it doesn't invalidate the prayer the prayer is still accepted and those things are many <coughs> the author of umdatul ahkam the original book of hadith he has only mentioned two hadith in this section and those two hadith contain two matters that are makruh in the salat and those things which are makruh are more than two but he only mentioned two uh, the first hadith which he mentions here is the hadith of Aisha radiyallahu anha ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam idha uqimat as-salat wa hadara al-asha fabda'u bil-asha'i this is the wording as it came in umdatul ahkam the book that we are studying just as a reminder to you is Taysir al-Alam Taysir al-Alam is the sharh or explanation of Umdat al-Ahkam but this hadith it came from the original author of Umdat al-Ahkam Abdul Ghani, Abdul Wahid al-Maqtasi and the explainer Sheikh uh, Abdullah Ali Bassam he narrated the hadith as it came in the original book Umdat al-Ahkam uh, the meaning of that hadith as it's recorded in Umdat al-Ahkam إذا أقيمت الصلاة وحضر العشاء فابدأوا بالعشاء يعني if the if the iqama is is called for the salat يعني if the people are called to stand up for the prayer and at the same time the asha not isha asha the supper or dinner is brought then the person should begin with the dinner <laughs> the food نعم <laughs> if the iqama is performed is called for salat and the dinner or the supper the food is brought at the same time the person should eat first the actual wording of this hadith as I found it uh, in the narration of Aisha radiallahu anha in al-Bukhari it is reported or uh, not in Bukhari in Muslim 
it is reported slightly different wording, but the meaning is the same. إِذَا وَضِعَ الْعَشَاء وَعُقِيمَةِ الصَّلَاةِ فَابْدَعُوا بِالْعَشَاءِ يعني If the food is put forward in front of you, and the iqama is made for salat, then begin with the food. This hadith has also been reported uh, in Al-Bukhari on the authority of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu and the wording is slightly different but the meaning is same but there is some added meaning here that's important to mention in his narration it's reported that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said إِذَا قُدِّمَا الْعَشَاءِ yani if the dinner is offered to you it is presented and brought forth فَابْدَعُوا بِهِ then begin by taking your meal قَبْلَ أَن تُصَلُّوا صَلَاةَ الْمَغْرِبِ before you perform Salat al-Maghrib if the dinner is presented to you, then begin with it before you pray Salat al-Maghrib. وَلَا تَعْجَلُوا عَنْ أَشَائِكُمْ And don't hurry to leave your dinner. Yeah, and you take your time and eat properly. This is an important addition to the hadith of, uh, as it was narrated by Aisha, and as it was narrated by also by Ibn Umar. Here the Shaykh uh, says, Allah, that it is expected and requested that a person when they perform the prayers that they should have al-khushu' they should have consciousness of Allah and be in awe of Allah while they are performing the prayer and also hudur al-qalb they should have the heart should be present they shouldn't be unmindful but they should have presence of mind as well as a feeling that they are standing in front of the Rabbul Alameen the Lord of the world because this al-khushu' and consciousness and presence of mind is really the spirit and the soul of the prayer. It is the spirit of the salat, not just the physical movement. Uh, so, to the extent that a person uh, is able to achieve this, to that extent will be the perfection or the completeness of their prayer or the incompleteness or imperfection of the prayer. So this consciousness is expected in the prayer and this is related to the statement here in this hadith of the Prophet that if the prayer, the ikama is made for the prayer and the food or drink is brought forward to you then it is proper that you should begin by eating and drinking until you remove the craving or desires that you had for that food because that craving or desire for the food is what may prevent you from having proper khushu and consciousness in the prayer you'll be thinking about the food that's waiting there you had to leave it and go to the masjid to pray so a person should eat and drink so that they can remove that craving and that desire for the food and go to the prayer properly. Uh, and this, he says, is as long as the prayer time is not very, very narrow or restricted. Yani if it happened that it was at the end of the time of the prayer, almost the time for the next prayer, yani the people delayed the prayer and it actually happens. Sometimes maybe there is a lecture that goes very long and the time for the next prayer came, for example, after Dhuhr, they started a lecture and I witnessed this myself in America, one of our famous Imams, <laughs> Warasuddin Muhammad, he used to give a lecture on the fourth Sunday of every month, national hookup on all of, to all of his communities around America and he used to start after Dhuhr and sometimes go until Isha, until Isha, non-stop. They didn't even stop for prayer. In any case, it's possible that it may happen that someone may delay the prayer until the, near the end of this time. It's time. If that happened and the food was presented, the person should go and pray so as not to allow the time of the prayer, yani the complete time of the prayer, to escape you.
because the reasoning for this is because to eat and drink at the time that the food is presented is mustahab but to perform the prayer within its boundaries is wajib and the mustahab does not take precedence precedence over that which is wajib and if you have a choice of doing something that's mustahab at the cost of failing to perform something that is obligatory then you have to leave the mustahab and do that which is obligatory this is a basic rule in usul fiqh and here he is applying it to this issue from this hadith he mentions four points number one that food and drink if it is brought at the time of the salat then it should be taken before the prayer as long as the prayer the time of the prayer would not escape from you number two that from the obvious meaning of this hadith or the apparent meaning of the hadith the person should take their food and drink before they go to the prayer if it comes at the same time if they are in need of that food and drink or even if they are not yeah, and the apparent meaning of this hadith it doesn't seem to make a distinction between the one who is really really hungry and the one who is not and the hadith just says if the food is presented at the time of the salat that you should take the food so here he is saying that the apparent meaning of this hadith is such that there is no distinction between the one who is in need of that food or the one who is not in need of it but many scholars even though it's not apparent in the text of the hadith many scholars did make a condition that this should be applicable to the one who is actually hungry if the person is not really hungry and they have no desire for the food but the food is presented then there is no need for them to sit and eat and avoid the prayer they should go and pray this is the opinion of many of the scholars uh, and this is what is understood from the illa or the qast yani the reasoning behind this statement of the Prophet ﷺ we understand it appears to be uh, and the apparent reason for him saying such is so that the person who is hungry doesn't go to the prayer while they are hungry and they cannot concentrate on the prayer therefore if we understand that then the person who is not hungry there is no need for them to delay their prayer they may go this is the opinion of many of the scholars in any case there are two opinions here the third point he says here that uh, the person who is in need of eating who is really hungry if the food is presented to them this is an excuse for them to avoid attending the prayer in jama'ah it is an excuse for them a legitimate excuse or other for them on the condition that they don't make the appointment or the timing for their meals at the time of the salat yani every day let's make sure you bring my uh, food to me at the time of the iqam of salat al-zuhur so i don't have to go to the masjid Allah, some people travel in Ramadan so they don't have to fast it's well known unfortunately inshallah perhaps we don't do that in the non-muslim countries but in the Arab countries it's known that people are doing such because they are not the people who have fear of Allah and who have love of the deen but people are doing it yani we shouldn't play games with the sharia and try to take the hadith of the prophet as an excuse for us to escape from our responsibilities to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah knows us in our hearts and we will be judged according to our intentions we may escape from the rulings of the people in this life but whoever does such they will not escape from Allah on Yom Qiyamah the last point he says is that al-khushu'a or this consciousness and awe and fear of Allah and presence of mind uh, is required in the prayer and leaving off 
our occupation and thoughts about other things. Yani it is expected and it is requested and is required that when a person goes to the prayer, they should try to put aside all their worldly things and try to give their heart over and their presence of mind to the performance of the salat. And if this point is understood from the uh, order of the Prophet ﷺ to eat first in order to yani, go to the prayer in a clear mind and, pre- and complete consciousness. The next hadith, hadith number 51, it's a hadith reported in the Sahih of Muslim. This hadith is not in Al-Bukhari and it's on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha. She said, Sami'atu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqul, la salata bihadrati al-ta'am that there is no prayer while the food has been brought forth or in the presence of the food wala wa huwa yudafi'uhu al-akhbathan and there is also no salat or it is not proper to perform the prayer or the prayer will not be correct and proper yani at the time when the food is brought forth or at the time when a person has the urge or the need to answer the call of nature al-akhbathan it means urination and defecation and at these two times, the person should not perform prayer. Here the Shaykh, he says, the, meaning, the general meaning of this hadith, uh, as it was already mentioned in the previous hadith, that presence of mind and clarity of mind and presence of heart and fear of Allah, al-khushu' and consciousness, all of this is re- required of the person when they stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to perform the prayer. And this could not be it would not be achieved except that the person removes from their heart and their mind all other matters that busy them and occupy them from full consciousness of the fact that they are standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These things in our mind and in our heart actually prevent us and prohibit us from having consciousness and tranquility and clarity of mind and heart and al-khushua in the salat. For this reason, the legislator, that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he has also legislated through the tongue or the mouth or the words of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa For this reason, the legislator has prohibited the salat at the time when the food is brought forth uh, because of the fact that the person's heart and mind would be attached to their food and prevent them from having the proper consciousness. And this, for the same reason, it has been prohibited that a person perform prayer at the time when they have a need to answer the call of nature, to urinate or to defecate because the salat of the person who needs to urinate and the salat of the person who needs to defecate would not be complete and perfect because their mind would be occupied with their need to answer the call of nature. Here he mentions that there is a point of ikhtilaf, difference of opinion amongst the scholars concerning this hadith. The first group of people, the Zahiriya. The Zahiriya is a madhab of the madhahib, the schools of Islamic jurisprudence, other than the four famous schools, the Hanafiya, the Malikiya, Shafi'i, and Hanbaliya. The Zahiriya is a school of law, uh, which was and well known through the writings and the books of Ibn Hazm. And in their madhab, they believed in taking the literal text of Quran and Sunnah, the Zahir, the apparent meaning, without any other consideration. According to their opinion, and also it is the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, that the prayer is not correct in the presence of food. Yani if the food is presented and someone prays, that prayer is not sahih. It is not correct, it is not accepted. 
more while the person is in need of answering the call of nature. They considered this salat performed in such a case as being batil, batila, yani invalid. But Zahiriyah and Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, their opinion is that if a person's food is presented to them and they go to the prayer, or they have to answer the call of nature and they go to the prayer, the prayer is invalid. And the second, uh, except that he says that Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, his opinion is qualified, he says that the prayer is invalid in the case of the person who is actually in need of the food, yeah, and who is very hungry and he goes to the prayer in that state, then he said, the prayer is invalid. Whereas the Zahiriya said, in any case, if he's hungry or not hungry, if he goes to the prayer while the food has been presented to him, then the prayer is invalid. The second opinion is the opinion of the majority of scholars, the Jamhur of the ulama, and they said that the prayer is sahih, it is correct, but it is makruh to go to the prayer in that condition, while a person is hungry, or the food is presented, or they have to answer the call of nature. And they said, that the negation of prayer here in the hadith where the Prophet said La salata, that there is no prayer, it is not accepted, it is not correct they said that negation here it means the negation of the kamal the perfection or completeness of the prayer not the negation of the siha, the correctness of the prayer yeah, I and mean, they said that negation here it doesn't mean that the prayer is invalid but it means that it's imperfect it's incomplete. Yeah, and it is somewhat defective if anyone goes to the prayer in that condition. And there's no doubt about it. If a person goes, in, goes to the prayer in that condition, their mind will be occupied with something else and the prayer will not be perfect. These are two, two opinions concerning this matter. From this hadith, he mentions a number of points. The first of them, uh, he mentions six points. The first of them is that it is makruh to perform the prayer at the time when the food is presented, especially the person who is in need of that food or who is hungry or at the time when the person has a need to answer the call of nature that prayer is makruh to pray in that condition except in the case that the time of the prayer would be finished it is at the end of the time of that prayer in that case the person might perform the prayer the prayer has precedence number two that presence of mind and heart and al-khushur this is expected and requested and required for the person when they go to the prayer. It's not only required that you have to make the movements properly and say the expressions or words properly, but also al-khushu'ah and presence of mind is also a requirement for the correctness and perfection of the prayer. Number three, that it is required of the praying person to keep themselves far removed from anything that would occupy their mind in the prayer, whatever it may be. Not only the food that they may be thinking about or something else, but anything that may occupy, in the prayer, occupy them in the prayer, they should try to uh, remove themselves from it. Close it out from their mind so that they can concentrate on the prayer. Number four, uh, uh, these four things that are mentioned here, food and drink and urination and defecation, all of these things, if anyone yeah, is confronted with any one of those matters, then this is a legitimate other or an excuse for the person to avoid the Jum'ah prayer or the Jama'ah. Yani if it came time for the Salat and Jama'ah congregational prayer or the Jum'ah prayer Friday and a person was in that condition, if they miss the prayer for that reason, then it is a legitimate excuse for them yani with the condition that they don't intentionally make their regular times of eating or relieving themselves at the times of the performance of the congregational prayer. Number five, he mentions that Imam Muhammad ibn Ali al-Sanani, the great scholar from Yemen, 
says that we should know that this ruling here is not giving pre- precedence to the rights of the human being over the rights of Allah and the right of the human being to eat or drink or relieve themselves it doesn't mean that the right of the human being is given precedence over the right of Allah but actually it means it is a means or a way to protect and to preserve and to make complete and perfect the rights of Allah being fulfilled properly by fulfilling the rights of the human beings but the rights of Allah always have pre- precedence and preference over the rights of the human beings and this is to present the, prevent the person from going to the prayer while their mind or their heart is occupied with something else while they're going to stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to call on him and worship some of the scholars he says as the last point here some of the scholars they have defined al-khushu' by being the combination of two things al-khawf was sukoon and al-khawf having fear of Allah and at the same time having tranquility as sukoon and tranquility of the body being at peace and relaxed as well as having the consciousness, the inner consciousness that these two things together are what uh, is mentioned here by al-khushu' physical as well as mental or spiritual consciousness and presence before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that this should not only يعني, uh, this should not only be the inner consciousness but they should, it should also appear in the physical appearance of the person that they are in a condition of tranquility and peace and relaxed when the person is standing in the prayer if they have khushu' you will not see them fixing their clothes every three seconds moving their pants and their shirt and scratching their legs looking at the watch this is an indication of the absence of al-khushu' al-khushu' is in the physical person in the body physical of the person as well as the inner presence of mind uh, also and he mentions finally the time is running uh, he says as a side point here very important point that's related to this topic that the scholars many of the scholars said that salat is communication with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so how will it be when a person is unmindful how can they perform the prayer while their mind is somewhere else yani if salat is communion with Allah the person in salat is communicating with Allah calling on Allah how can they communicate with Allah and their mind is somewhere else their mind is on some sports the big event of the day the or consensus of the scholars that a person would not be given anything reward or credit in their ibadah except that which they are aware of or they have performed consciously that a person is not given reward for the prayer that they performed while their mind was on something else whatever it may be our business our family when the prayer was over we realized that the Imam is making taslim then how is there any credit for such a prayer and for this reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran and perform the prayer for the purpose of remembering me for remembrance of me if the purpose of the prayer is to help you to remember Allah then what kind of prayer is it when the person's mind is on something other than Allah and also the saying of Allah وَلَا تَكُنْ مِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ Don't be of those who are in ghafla yani those who are unmindful or unconscious of what they are doing 
and also the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, which he says is reported in Abu Dawud and Nasai and the Sahih Ibn Hibban uh, although I didn't find the hadith in Abu Dawud nor in Nasai uh, but it is anyway I, I searched for it for about two hours and I did come to the conclusion I found uh, the book is in the Muslim of Imam Ahmed and some other books and it is authentic hadith it is reported that uh, the Prophet said as he said here in the book, he narrates the hadith in these words: "Inna al-abd la yusalli al-salat la yuqtab lahu ushruha wala sudusuha." This is how he narrates the hadith that a person would perform a prayer, and they would not be written for them. Yani they would not be given credit for one tenth of the prayer, or they would not be given credit for one sixth of the prayer. Uh, the hadith, as I found it, reported authentically. And uh, it is said that that hadith, though it has many, though it has many uh, different uh, reports coming in different books, some of them are weak. But Sheikh Al Albani, Sheikh Nasruddin Al Albani, Hafizahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him. He says. Uh, that this hadith is considered to be sahih or authentic due to the many uh, transmissions or asaneed which he collected and brought together showing that the hadith should be raised up to the condition of being authentic. And it was also declared to be authentic long time ago by some of the earlier scholars such as Al-Hafiz Al-Iraqi who was the sheikh or the teacher of Al-Hafiz Ibn Hajar Al-Asqalani. here the hadith is narrated by Shaykh al-Albani with a longer wording. He says, إِنَّ الْعَبْدَ لَا يُصَلِّي الصَّلَاةِ مَا يُقْتَبُ لَهُ مِنْهَا إِلَّا عُشْرُهَا That a person would perform a prayer and there would be no credit. Nothing would be written for him from it except one-tenth of it. Yani he would only get credit for performing one-tenth of the prayer. The other nine-tenths would be lost. تُسْعُهَا ثُمُنُهَا some person would only be giving credit for one-tenth, some for one-ninth, some for one-eighth, some for one-seventh, some for one-sixth, one-fifth, one-fourth, one-third, or one-half of the prayer. Yani people, according to their condition in the prayer, would be given credit for one-half of it, or one-third of it, or one-fourth of it, or one-fifth of it, or whatever. Some people would get one-tenth, perhaps some people and not get any credit at all. We ask Allah to protect us from such. This means that the prayer has to be given attention. It shouldn't be taken lightly that I went to the prayer, I made the movements, I said the words, halas, I get credit for it. Not so. Not so. The Prophet said some people will perform the prayer, but they would not be given credit except for one-tenth of it, or one-ninth of it, or one-eighth of it, and so on. This hadith is authentic. Uh, so it is no doubt that the prayer has been yani, established and legislated in order to help us to remember Allah. So if the person doesn't have their presence of mind and heart and consciousness, that they are standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, then the value of the prayer would be decreased. So that unmindfulness in the prayer while one is calling on Allah, no doubt, it is one of the things that should be avoided. And 
the way to avoid it is to get out of our minds the matters of the world, the worldly things. When you go to prayer, try to get out of your mind those worldly things which would cause you to neglect the performance of the prayer properly. Uh, the next chapter is Bab Awqat and Nahi. The chapter concerning the times of prohibition, the times when the prayers are prohibited. And here he says that prayers have been prohibited in specific times for a wisdom that is known to the legislator, known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, such as avoiding or staying far away from imitation or resembling the disbelievers at the times of their worship. Here the Shaykh Abdullah Ali Bassam Hafidhullah mentions three timings, but the author of the book Umdat al Ahkam only mentions hadith concerning two timings. In any case, he says that there are three timings here that are prohibited. The first of them is after the performance of Salatul Sajr until the sun yani, rises high in the sky, yani, at least rises above the horizon, the length of a spear's length length above the horizon yani from the time that the person performs Salat al-Fajr until the time that the sun has risen above the horizon yani to some extent the second time is the time after the performance of Salat al-Asr until the sun sets after the performance of Salat al-Asr it is prohibited to perform any other prayers until sunset until the sun actually sets and the third time which is not mentioned in the hadith here in the book but Sheikh uh, Abdullah mentions the third timing he says is the time uh, when the sun reaches its height, yani just above one's head in the middle of the sky, uh, until it begins to descend. Yani for that short period of time, when it reaches its zenith, until it begins to descend, this is also a prohibited time. Uh, here he mentions, the, or it is mentioned, the hadith, hadith number 52, from Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhumah, he said, Shahida indi rijalun mardiyun this is not mentioned as I found it in Bukhari or Muslim but in any case he said that some people witnessed yani some people with me witnessed some yani pleasing or beloved people witnessed and the best of them or the most beloved of them to me was Umar they witnessed or testified to this fact and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam naha anis salati ba'da subh hatta tatlu'a al-shams wa ba'da al-asr hatta taghruba Yani that the Prophet ﷺ, the Messenger of Allah, prohibited any prayer after a subh, yani after the dawn, until the sun rises, and after al-asr, the time of asr, until the sun sets. This is the hadith, yani the wording of the hadith in Bukhari is like this, and in Muslim, instead of a subh, it says salatu subh, or salatu sajr, yani the fajr prayer, not the time of fajr, but the fajr prayer, and the same thing about asr, that the prayers are prohibited not after the time of asr, but after the prayer of asr. And this hadith, this wording should be understood in light of the other wording which is more clear. Uh, the second hadith is the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Qudri radiallahu anhu from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he said, La salata ba'da subh, that there is no prayer, it should not be performed after subh. Dawn hatta tartafi'a al-shams until the sun rises, yani above the horizon. Wala as-salat and there is no prayer after the Asr time or the Asr prayer حتى تغيب الشمس until the sun sets 
And these hadith or similar wording such as this have been narrated from many of the Sahaba, including Ali and uh, Abdullah ibn Amr, Abu Huraira, Samra ibn Jundub, and uh, Zayd ibn Thabit, Mu'adh ibn Jabal, and he mentioned so many of them. The wording being similar in all of them. Uh, here the Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that in these two hadith there is the prohibition of the Prophet of making any prayer after the dawn prayer until the sun rises uh, in the sky where it can be seen yani the length it should be above the horizon the length of the length of a spear and this is approximately three meters he also prohibited the prayers after Salat al-Asr the Asr prayer until the sun sets uh, because in performing the prayers at these two times there is a similarity or resembling or imitation of the pagans who used to worship their false god at these two times at the time of sunrise and at the time of sunset so we have been prohibited from imitating them in their worship as the Prophet sallallahu said that whoever imitates the people then he is of them من تشبه بقوم فهو منهم. So we should avoid imitation of the disbelievers in general and especially in matters of worship. Here he says that there are some points of difference of opinion. Uh, but let us mention Allahu Musta'an. <laughs> the benefits that he gets from this hadith he said are four. Because I don't know if we will have enough time. Anyway, he says that there are four main rulings or points that may be derived from this hadith. The first of them is the prohibition of voluntary prayers voluntary prayers after the dawn prayer until the sun rises high into the sky about three meters above the horizon and also the prohibition of performing voluntary prayers after the Asr prayer until the sun sets and the third point uh, that we may understand from some reports from the Prophet ﷺ that the reason for this prohibition is for fear of imitation of the disbelievers and from this we might also understand the prohibition of imitating the disbelievers in acts of worship as well as in their customs and other things. As for the matters of difference of opinion, he says the first matter about which there is difference of opinion that the scholars differed concerning what is the ruling of the salat in these times? Is it makru or is it mubah? In these prohibited times, is it makru? distasteful or detestable or is it allowed? The first opinion is the opinion of the Jamhur, the majority of scholars, that it is makru and they mention as their evidence the authentic hadith such as the hadith which we mentioned here. The second opinion is the opinion of the Zahiriya, the literalists and their opinion is that it is mubah, that it is permissible to pray in these times, in these prohibited times. They said it is permissible and they answered or they responded to the hadith which indicate prohibition saying that those hadith are what do you think they said? they said that they are mansukha what is mansukha? abrogated abrogated remember we talked about al-nasikh wal mansukh they said that those hadith are abrogated in any case that's their opinion um, but the other scholars said no that those proofs which seem to suggest that, they, that it is allowed to pr- pray in these prohibited times they should be understood b- based on the principle of usul fiqh of al-mutlaq wal-muqayyid or al-aam wal-khas 
In brief, the meaning of these principles is that there are some things which are general and then there are some things which are khas, yani, which are exceptions from those general rules. And there are some things which are mutlaq, which are open without any restrictions and sometimes there is another proof, muqayyid, muqayyid, which yani, confines or restricts that open statement. Yani, for example, in the Quran, uh, there is the mention of freeing a slave. فَتَحْرِيرْ رُقْبَةً And in other places فَتَحْرِيرْ رُقْبَةً مُؤْمِنًا The first one freeing of a slave is mutlaq it's open يعني any slave free any slave the second one is مُقَيِّد is specified and restricted only to a believing slave so they said that this is applicable here that the general ruling is that these are the prohibited times if there are some instances where it is indicated that the Prophet ﷺ allowed prayer in these times, it should be understood that those are special cases. But the general rule still stands that these times are generally prohibited unless there is a proof showing that in a certain circumstance or situation that is permissible. Such as, for example, uh, the time that's prohibited يعني, close to sunset or sunrise. If a person didn't perform the prayer, the obligatory prayer, then they should pray it at that time. Or if there is a need to perform a prayer without any delay, uh, it is a necessity, such as يعني, the time for uh, Salat al-Janazah, if there was any need to perform the prayer, or a istikhara, the person had to make a decision quickly, uh, and they had to pray immediately, then even in the prohibited times, and if there is a reason for, for performing a voluntary prayer, even in the prohibited times, if there is a reason for it, not absolute voluntary prayers, but those voluntary prayers which have a cause or reason, then it's permissible to, prefer, to perform them at that, at that time. And the second uh, point about which there is difference of opinion uh, is that about whether or not which prayers are prohibited in these times, in these prohibited times, which prayers are prohibited, and I already hinted at that, uh, the difference of opinion, some scholars said that all voluntary prayers are prohibited, all voluntary prayers. And this is the opinion of the majority of scholars, the Hanafiya, the Malikiya, and the Hanbaliya. Excuse me? It must be from far away. <laughs> We'll delay for a moment. Just to complete this point uh, on this hadith, um, the first opinion is that all voluntary prayers are prohibited in these prohibited times except the two rakah of tawaf because there is some specific allowance for such in the hadith of the Prophet. He said, Don't prohibit anyone from performing prayer at any time after making tawaf of the Kaaba. The second opinion, which is the opinion of the Shafi'iyah, the followers of Imam Shafi'i, rahimahullah, and also there is a report from Imam Ahmed, and it is the opinion of Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah, and a group of scholars, that the, the prayers which are prohibited in these prohibited times are those prayers, al-nawafil al-mutlaqa, yani those pure voluntary prayers that have no reason or cause. Uh, but it does not include the prayers that have a reason such as Tahiyat al-Masjid if a person came to the Masjid in the prohibited time they should perform Turaqah Tahiyat al-Masjid or a person that made wudu they may make Turaqah for wudu because there is a reason for performing these voluntary prayers even if it's in the prohibited time these are the two opinions and uh, 
The second opinion seems to be a combination of both evidences, those evidences which show a general prohibition as well as those evidences which show some permission in certain circumstances. And the last point is the point of difference of opinion. The last point of difference of opinion is when does the prohibition start? Does it start the prohibition at these times? Is it from the, from the break of dawn or is it from the performance of the Salat of Fajr? Yeah, and is it prohibited after you perform Salat of Fajr or from the break of dawn it's not allowed to pray voluntary prayers? Uh, the first opinion is the opinion of the Hanafiya and, that, and they said that the prohibition of performing any voluntary prayers is from the break of dawn and once dawn arrives then it's not allowed to perform any uh, voluntary prayers and this is also one of the opinions of the Hanbali Madhab uh, and they used as proof some of the hadith which seem to suggest that such as the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, reported in the books of Sunan لا تصلوا بعد الفجر after the dawn, don't pray except sajdatain, the two rak'ah of sunnah of fajr. But don't perform any other prayer. And there are other similarly worded hadith, uh, such as the hadith of Abu Huraira, if the dawn has appeared, then there is no prayer that you may make except two rak'ah of fajr. Rak'atil fajr means the two rak'ah of sunnah of fajr, not the obligatory prayer. This is allowed. Uh, So they said that these hadith indicate that it is a prohibition from performing voluntary prayers after the uh, break of dawn except the Turaka of Fajr. The second opinion is a, another group of scholars and they said that the prohibition begins after the person performs the dawn prayer. Yeah, and once you perform the dawn prayer you should not pray any voluntary prayers. But before that you may pray voluntary prayers as much as you like. Uh, this is the second opinion, and their opinion is based on the wording of the hadith in Al-Bukhari from Abu Sa'id Al-Qudri and he said لا صلاة بعد صلاة الفجر حتى تطلع أو تطلع الشمس There is no prayer of the voluntary prayers that one should perform after Salat al-Fajr yani after you perform the congregational obligatory prayer of dawn until sunrise and other such similarly worded hadith then he said that the second group of scholars, they refuted the first group of scholars by saying those hadith which seem to suggest that the prohibition is from the break of dawn, not from the performance of prayer. They said that those hadith yani, have some defect in it. Yani, they are not so strong or those hadith are considered to be weak. Well, in fact, actually some of the scholars declared those hadith to be authentic if they are looked at as a group, there are so many narrations and some of them are stronger than others and together, according to the science of hadith, they are considered to be authentic. In any case, these are the two opinions of the scholars concerning this matter, um, that uh, the prohibition of performing voluntary prayers is either from the break of dawn, after the break of dawn you should not perform any prayer except the Turaqa al-Fajr, the Sunnah prayers before the congregational prayer, and the others said, you may pray voluntary prayers as much as you like, until you perform the congregational prayer of dawn, after which you shouldn't perform any other voluntary prayers. So this is uh, all that we can cover for now. Um, may maybe we may take one or two questions uh, if we have a few minutes before we go to the prayer. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.
Is there any comment or any correction or question before we go to the prayer? Naam. Naam. In what way? When the Okay, in reference to the fasting person, uh, the question is, does this give some allowance to the fasting people at the time of Maghrib, the food is prepared and the ikama is called, should they eat or go to the prayer? We should follow, in this case, the general ruling is as mentioned in the hadith. But that's the Aam, general, but there's also, as we said, khas. There are some specific hadith concerning the fasting person. This is a general rule. But as for the fasting person, we have the example of the Prophet ﷺ. What did he used to do when he was fasting? He used to take some dates, fresh dates, if he couldn't find them, dry dates, if he couldn't find them, some water, and then he used to go to the prayer. And surely you have in the Messenger of Allah the best example. Whoever follows his example, this is the best. Aisha when she was asked about two people, one of them who used to delay the salat for eating and the other one who used to perform it quickly, she said the one who used to perform it quickly, this is the correct and this is the way the Prophet and the one who delayed it, this is undesirable. Yani the person should take something in order to break the craving and desire that they have for food and the example of the Prophet in taking fresh dates is a good example because those dates medically have been proven to contain a substance, yani some kind of uh, sweet sugar substance that goes directly through the bloodstream, bloodstream in order to give the body energy and at the same time to remove some of the hunger or the desire that the person has quickly so that they will have some energy to go to the prayer and then after the prayer the person may return and eat yani whatever they like of lawful things within the limits and not uh, going beyond the bounds because everything has limits in Islam going to the extreme in anything even in eating lawful foods is not acceptable Islamically and return to the prayer and Allah knows best but it seems as though the example of the Prophet ﷺ in this case is very clear uh, and we should follow his example in this specific case of the person who is fasting and do as he did uh, this is where Allah uh, requests from us to follow uh, his example the general ruling is as mentioned and the specific ruling for the faster is as we found in the way of the Prophet ﷺ any other comment or question? Naam, Fadlaya Yani if the person didn't perform some of the prayers which are connected to the obligatory prayer before or after those which came before or those which came after in the case of Dhuhr there is before and there is after in the case of Maghrib and Isha there is after in the case of Fajr there is before whoever didn't perform them do those which are before due to the fact that the Iqamah is called they may perform them after of course there is difference of opinion about this concerning Asr the Prophet ﷺ prayed after Asr some voluntary prayers he said that he was occupied or delayed from doing it and he did like that some of the scholars said no that was especially for the Prophet ﷺ because of the prohibition of performing prayers after Asr and some said no it's permissible to do it but in general if it's not and if it's after Asr or it's after Fajr then there's a difference of opinion about this in reference to Fajr also there's a difference of opinion some scholars said that whoever missed the two Raka'ah Fajr 
because the ikamah has been performed, they may pray it after. And some said, no, you should wait until after sunrise. And the best opinion seems to be that which is authentically narrated in the case of the Sahabi who came to the Prophet while he was performing the Fajr prayer. He joined them in the congregation of prayer. After the prayer was over, he stood up and prayed two rakah. And when he finished the prayer, the Prophet was standing over him waiting, asking him, what is he doing? This is a prohibited time. After the performance of the Fajr prayer, he explained to him what he had done, that is that he came late, and the prayer was in session, he joined it, and he was making Surah Ka'a Fajr. The Prophet ﷺ remained silent. He didn't rebuke him or, re- or reprove him, or tell him to do otherwise. From this we can understand that it's permissible, although some scholars said it's better to wait until after sunrise, it's clearly permissible at that time.